This is the premier broadcast of 104.7 Gold's newest radio talk show, Tricks, Techniques, and Some Real Magic. I'm your presenter, Dr. Matthew Waxman, MD, PhD, internal medicine and addiction doc. My office is at 424 South Stoke Street, but you could just go to Haverty Grace, ask anybody where Dr. Waxman's office is, be taken to the wrong place, where I've put up a sign to tell you where the right place is, and it's only a block and a half away. Let's begin by explaining what tricks, techniques, and real magic is. This gives the format of the radio show, and there are two different definitions. The first is on the basis of knowledge. If I know something you don't, that would be a trick. And if you find the mirror up the sleeve, the coin in the bunny, or that my two assistants are actually twins, but one is missing her legs, then it's no longer a trick, it becomes a technique, like changing a tire, fixing a sink, or any one of millions of things we can both share information on on the internet, and then I can use that information and break things really badly. But a technique is shared information. Now, on the real magic, that's when you know something that I don't. Now, if you know what that is, and you're pulling a trick on me, well, gee, that's really cool. I love that sort of thing. Can I see it again? When are you doing a show? Oh, I love that. But once I learn that what's going on, then it's no longer a trick, it's a technique. There's another example of this, which is where you know something and yet maybe not know something. This is because the brain takes in internal and external sensory information, throws out most of it, distorts the rest, and then process, stores, and responds to emotionally, cognitively, and physically at 10 times the speed of thought, all in the background and all without us knowing that it's going on. These processes are run by chemical signals, which are exactly drugs of abuse. Wackiness ensues. But you can have things that just seem to pop out of the blue and stay magical even when you know down to the molecule how it is being done. This brings up the second format that the show is tricks, techniques, and some real magic. The format of the show is I start with one of these brain processing things where stuff pops out of the blue and seems magical even when you know how it's done. The second part, which is not nearly as bad as you might think, is where I tell you about the research. Maybe about that part, maybe about some other finding in the medical literature, science literature, or meetings that I've gone to and presented my own research. The third part, which is still real magic, is I give you an experiment and you feedback what happened with it. You'll know before I will whether the thing worked or not, and that's the real magic. And then the show starts all over again with the findings that you've presented to me, and I share them with you back again for what's been found out. We begin the show again. This is a trick. This is the science of Charles Spence, an Oxford professor, who showed a relationship between sound and taste. You probably have all the equipment you need for this right next to you. You start with coffee. Taste the coffee. Try to remember what it tasted like. Then listen to music, which is light, floating, flute-like, higher pitched, pleasant, and see how the coffee taste changes. It's supposed to be a bit sweeter. Then 
The music of Billie Eilish is really good for this. Dark, grungy music uh, with a grungy backbeat is especially good. Her music, even though she has a lovely high, high voice, works really well for this. And low, grungy music makes coffee taste more sour and bitter. Coffee's perfect for this experiment, by the way. The third one, with the radio, is tuning it between the channels and getting white noise, like... This acts like putting a damp blanket on the tongue, and it just damps down the taste of the coffee. You can show this and verify it and see it. I don't need to hear back on it. Now we come to the research portion of the broadcast. Don't hang up. I make it entertaining. And it might even save your life if you've got an addiction problem. And come to me at 424 South Stokes Street in Haverty Race. I went to a meeting of the American Association of Addiction Psychiatrists in December. It was a lot of fun. It was in San Diego. I had a good time and learned a lot of stuff. All these meetings have the same format. The first talk is by the head of the organization who gives the overall direction of the talk and the seminar and the association, which was, drugs are bad. Let's hear that again. Drugs are bad. Yeah, I skipped that talk. But the next talk is about drug of the year. Now, this is a trendy drug that gets a lot of media attention. It is not a drug that's going to actually be of any importance. Previous years were bath salts, crocodile, ecstasy, and kratom, which is still around a bit. And this year was cat. Now, all those combined is not up to the level of problem of any of the things we talk about as drugs of abuse. Cat is a leaf in, I believe, South America and also the Middle East from a bush. You chew it and it has a stimulant effect. We don't know how bad it is, how addictive it is, and other stimulants such as even diet supplements have killed hundreds of people in that case, and other stimulants like cocaine, methamphetamine are bad. As mentioned, hey, maybe the main talk was worthwhile. So, it's a controlled substance in the U.S. and the developed world, even though it's legal where it's grown. It's never going to take, take off as an addictive drug. First of all, if you're shipping a bush into the U.S., yeah, that's going to be a non-starter for a lot of reasons besides its pharmacology. And if you're trying to sell any of this on the street and you're walking around a dangerous neighborhood carrying a bush, uh, the police are going to stop you just for curiosity's sake, and then you're going to jail. Not only that, you go to jail for selling a bush, you're going to get beat up. So it's going to be a non-starter from the drug purveyor's side. Uh, it's also going to be a bit of a thing on being picked up by the police. It's also going to be a bit of a problem for the drug buyers. So I already mentioned it's kind of hard to hide this. So what you might do if you're a pusher is be selling it from a nursery. But I'm not going to trust that you're not selling me some bay leaves or something if I see you hanging around there trying to sell me some leaves out of outside of a nursery. So that's going to be a non-starter. The other part of the talk was where they get somebody who's the most famous person they can get, in this case, Dr. Koob of the NIH Division on Alcohol Addiction. And he gave a very good talk, actually. He points out that there's an inverse relationship, opposite relationship between how bad a drug is and how much it's mentioned. So marijuana was mentioned a lot. And 
and opiates were mentioned a lot. There's about 40,000 opiate overdose deaths in the U.S. per year. However, alcohol kills twice as many at 80,000. Cigarettes kill twice as many as that, and there were very few articles or talks or research at the meeting on cigarettes. Obesity kills probably twice as many as cigarettes, and there was not one word about obesity, fat, french fries, or any of that. And in the main textbooks, there's also no word about obesity, compulsive food eating, etc. Even though we have several new drugs out on that topic in this year, and I also treat that at the office at 424 South Stokes Street. The interesting thing on Dr. Koob's lecture wasn't the bad things about alcohol, but the lack of them, actually. Given that 80 to 90 percent of us drink at least some point during the year, and 5 percent of the adult population has enough drinking to qualify as an alcohol abuse problem. Also, there's a fair amount of binge drinking. 40 percent of college males drink to blackout and most of them don't develop alcohol abuse disorders. Nearly 10% of the whole U.S. population binge drinks at least some time. That counts as about half dozen drinks in a two-hour period. That doesn't generally wind up causing somebody to go to the hospital. However, if that amount is increased by about 50% to double, then that makes the risk of winding up in the hospital tenfold higher. If it's doubled, then it's 70% higher. If it's tripled, that's kind of an amazing thing. That would be 15 drinks in a two-hour period. Merely having the manual dexterity to do that is kind of awe-inspiring. And that gives just about a hundredfold increased risk of going into the hospital if one can do that. This is the real magic part of the program. And I hope you'll all participate with me. First, you need to find something that you want to get rid of as a compulsive behavior. With me, it's french fries. Other people, it's going to be alcohol. A lot of people, it's going to be cigarettes. What you do in this little magic trick is you write down five times where you really wanted that thing that you know you shouldn't do. In me, french fries. And, well, hopefully not driving at that point. Uh, writing down the five things that are triggers, or five times, or five events, or five incidents where you can remember, five memories of times where you've had a compulsion, and five times, or five thoughts, where you felt really bad about that. So, giving the french fries, it would be going by fast food and wanting to get french fries, knowing that a place has those really great Ocean City fries and really wanting those. Uh, going out to a restaurant and seeing the french fries and ordering them, and uh, going to a grocery store and them having a buffet that had french fries at it. So that's about five. Then, on the negative side would be, I gained all that weight back after I'd fought so hard to lose it. I'm not going to live as long as my dad did because he exercised and changed his whole diet to almost a vegetarian diet. And I'm going to be like my grandparents who didn't live more than two years more than I have. My clothes don't fit. I used to look better than this. 
Then what you do is you take five over here, five over there, and you shuffle them. And you think, Ocean City Fries, I'm going to die. Fast food place, my clothes don't fit me. French fries at the buffet table, I had this weight off and I gained it back again. So, if you interweave these, then every time that the craving comes up, the associated bad feeling is also going to come up. Your head's going to bobble like a little bobblehead, and you'll have space not to do that. Last night, I went to a restaurant to watch the Super Bowl while I was having a, a really nice sandwich, actually. And I didn't get the fries, even though they did have those wonderful Ocean City fries. Instead, I got a very small packet of potato chips, only ate half of them, threw the rest away, and I stayed on my diet and I lost some weight. So it has worked for me when I do it. And each for each compulsion, I need to do the, the compulsion magic. Uh, I'd like you to contact me and tell me whether this magic trick actually works for you.